There are so many metrics that a business can keep across, and that can be incredibly overwhelming. That's a phenomenal business model. Should I hire a data scientist? Who cares? 12 months was a long time ago. Their average growth rate is 275%. Welcome to Add to Cart, the podcast that Express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of e-commerce. Every month, Nathan Bush from 12 High and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, founder of e-commerce consultancy 12 High, and I'm really excited to bring you this podcast series where we're going to dive deeper into the most commonly asked e-commerce questions and explore opportunities that you may be able to implement in your business. To kick off, we've got Josh Newport, who heads up merchant engagement for Shopify Plus in the APAC region joining me as a co-host to discuss growth. On that note, we're really excited to have Shopify Plus on as our inaugural sponsor, and we really appreciate their support. So without any further ado, let's get into it. This week, we're talking about growth. What does a good growth rate look like? What metrics should we be using to measure growth? And what are some of the common traps that we fall into around getting hung up on growth? I have Josh Newport here with me today, who, as my co-host, who is the Merchant Engagement Manager uh, for Shopify Plus in the APAC region. Welcome, Josh. Hey, Bushy. How are you, mate? Good, mate. I think my voice just broke. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so clearly you're ready. You've done your vocal exercises this morning. <laughs> I've done my vocal exercises. All yeah. right, let's get into it. What we are here today to discuss is growth rates. And I think this is a topic very close to most retailers' hearts and most conferences that you go to or meetups that you will go to, one of the first questions if it is not what's your conversion rate, it's what's your growth rate. And there's no magic answer, right? No, there is no magic answer. It's uh, I wish it was as easy as achieve 80% growth rate and you are on the way to success. I think we just lost 80% of our listeners right then. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's get into it. So I want to start just by sharing. We've just had results season for our larger retailers who are listed on the stock exchange, and we've seen some really interesting results. So if we look at people like JB Hi-Fi, they're mm-hmm. up 23% online, and we're starting to see a lot of these retailers really highlighting their online sales growth, whereas two or three years ago, it was kind of hush-hush and no one wanted to give anything away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, they're making a point of it, which in my mind is either, one, they're really proud of it and they're doing great things and it's a great way to get shareholder confidence, mm-hmm. or they're hiding some other results. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of um, uh, like it's, it's weird to say online's hot right now. It's not. It's been here for for so long. But I think from a traditional retailer perspective, that maybe uh, hasn't been as fast on the uptake around online. Uh, maybe you know things take a, a little bit longer inside of a, a much larger beast that is a traditional retailer. And so, you know, hey, if online's going good, investors should be happy, and we should be talking about this because everyone's frothing on online and, and growth rates and, and all those kinds of things. So, for sure, yeah, and, and it could be that. It's not so much the retailers catching up. It could be that the investors are catching up to the value of online as well. So totally, yeah, we won't throw we won't throw stones here. No, but but some of the big results that we have seen is JB Hi-Fi announced twenty three percent up online. Super Retail Group, which owns brands such as Super Cheap Auto, BCF, and Rebel Sport, were up twenty five percent online across the group. How Where's does that farmers- compare to your growth rate, Bushy? When you're in charge there, mate, things oh, things picked up or they are they. <laughs> 
I, I'm not at liberty to say anything around that, Josh, you know. <laughs> Paperwork was signed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, I'm gonna, it's all right. I'll find out one way or another. <laughs> and West Farmers up about 33%. So we've seen probably around the 20 to 40% average for the retailers that are coming out there and, and beating their chests a little bit about online growth. Mm. How does that, from, from a Shopify Plus perspective, where a lot of your clients are traditionally online natives, yeah, and you're getting more that are more omni-channel and more traditional coming over. But how does a growth rate of twenty to forty percent compare with what you're seeing in the market? Yeah, uh, I mean that's exactly right. We are most of our customers are uh, digital native brands, right? They've, grown, they've grown up online, and and now they're starting to to dabble in retail. So they're looking at pop-ups. They're looking at you know starting a retail location, um, but not in the traditional sense of retail. And that's an entirely different conversation. But so to give you a sense. An average e-commerce growth rate for brands doing a million dollars or more on plus is 126%. Wow. And so I look at that and I go, what are these other retailers doing to be so happy about 20 to 40%? But I think there's other things to consider there, right? Like these retailers we mentioned, JB Hi-Fi, uh, Wes Farmers, which is you know, Kmart and Bunnings and a bunch of others, as well as Super Retail Group. You know, they've all got uh, a, a very significant retail footprint. They've got really, really strong brands and market. They've been around for a long, long time. People know them. And, and therefore, to get the growth, that kind of growth rate would be something serious is going on there. If they're kind of getting that level of growth rate, 120% plus. And I think it's important to point out here that we're just talking about revenue growth. We're not talking profit. We might touch on profit a little bit later. Yeah. But we're just talking about revenue growth here. Yeah, pure pure top line revenue. And and you know what's interesting is that, so Wes Farmers, 33% growth in online Bunnings doesn't even have their e-commerce offering out, you know, rolled out yet. What's going to happen when that rolls out? You know, that's that's going to be interesting to sort of see. Are they how going? That, on, are they going on Shopify Plus? Uh, can not say anything, but no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot say anything, but no. So yeah, like you know, when they eventually roll that e-com offering out, and that's kind of to my point earlier around how has it taken this long for that to happen? Mm. You know, there's, there's a, they're a complex business, right? There's a lot of, I mean, geez, the skew count of that business. I, I don't even want to know what that is. Enormous. Or, or the bulky item count. All the, yeah, exactly. Just the, this complexity they're going to have there to kind of really make that uh, a solid customer experience. And that's probably why it's taking this time. They've, they've likely wanted to take the time to make sure this is a, a really solid offering and they're not just going to show up as something that's you know below par and, and really sort of never get used. So uh, I can I can understand that. But that's going to be interesting. What's even crazier, really quickly, this is something that I I only learned about a, a couple of weeks ago. Is So I mentioned average growth rate, Shopify Plus, a million dollars or more um, was 126%. This could be a little outdated. I'm just waiting to get some fresh numbers. But for the top 20 plus merchants on our platform, their average growth rate is 275%. So now you're just flexing. So now we're just flexing some flexing some crazy muscle. But no, that I mean, that's phenomenal, right? Like these are, this is what we're kind of calling the new enterprise. These are these brands that are, you know, relatively new. They've only been around for five, six, you know, sort of max, maybe eight or 10 years. And they're just completely obsessed by end-to-end customer experience. They've grown up online. They have all the right teams in place. They understand the value of building a brand. They understand about ruthless performance marketing and creating a, a genuine community. And these really, really massive online retailers uh, are growing at just a rate that we just haven't seen before. Do you have any stats around retailers on Shopify Plus that have been around for five plus years? Because 
it's pretty easy to get stupid numbers right when yeah. you're one or two years in and you're coming off a low base. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, not off the top of my head and I, I can't really talk to specific retailers growth rates yeah. or I'll be um, taking up the back <laughs> and that'll be the end of me. But, you know, yeah, you, to your point, if you are a newer retailer, five years, you, you, you're going to have a higher growth rate. You're, you're new in the market, you're exciting, you're fresh. And, and I actually kind of think, you know, partly this is kind of one of the reasons why we're starting to see um, again, this sort of like house of brands retailer pop up because they can have the advantage of having multiple brands and they can just let that brand run its life cycle rather than like trying to squeeze everything out of a single brand and force it. Um, they're able to kind of create a brand, spin it up, let it run its natural life cycle and grow and then sort of leverage, you know, their other brands that they're starting to spin up um, in house under their house of brands and, and, and sort of utilize or, or take advantage of that growth rate. So, yeah, I don't have specific stats on, you know, this business has been here for 10 years and this is their growth rate, but you, you can kind of expect, unless they're doing something pretty phenomenal, that their competition will be heavier for those brands that have been around longer um, and therefore their growth rates are probably starting to level out. See, it's really interesting and I think the perspective that you've put forward is great, but I don't totally discount those 20 to 40% growth rates because Australia Post released some research earlier in the year, or it was probably two or three months ago, and they found the average growth rate for Australian e-commerce is about 13% year-on-year growth. Yeah. So much lower than what we saw in some of those results, but minuscule compared to what you're seeing. We've got a real divide, haven't we, in Australia around who's doing really well in e-commerce and who's just trying to stay afloat. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as we kind of said, if the average is 13%, you look at those those larger retailers that we mentioned. You know they're, they're between twenty to forty percent online growth, and great, that's that's good. They've they've clearly beaten the average, and you know they're as I said, someone like a JB five point five percent of their sales are ecom. The average for Australia in terms of recom uh, ecom, sorry, I think ten percent. I think it's like ten percent of all retail in Australia is is online. So. You know, to to have ninety four point five percent of your revenue come through stores, and you know, stores that have been around for a long time and have really really strong a strong brand and market, online is also driving growth in store. So it's not purely just about I'm making more revenue online. You know, the rise of click and collect and and these kinds of initiatives are. I might not be seeing my direct revenue online growing in, in terms of dollar wise, but you can sure bet that online is helping the entire growth rate for that company rise by driving customers in store as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on a really good point there is that we the online revenue, year-on-year growth is often held up as the benchmark. Yeah. If not that, then conversion rate, which I really have a problem with. But at Online Retailer this year, there was a really great session by Fiona Moylan, who's heads up e-commerce for Jolique, mm-hmm. the skincare brand. Yeah. And she made a really strong point around saying that she just finds it weird that retailers obsessed with year-on-year performance comparisons. And from her point of view, she goes, well, who cares? 12 months was a long time ago. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good point. A lot's changed in 12 months. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's kind of almost a hangover from retail of yesteryear where performance is measured on same store sales and even square foot comparisons um, between stores. Yeah. It's almost is is the year-on-year measure actually worth it anymore? Because if you look at the US, their quarterly results and 
when they release quarterly results, when Amazon or Best Buy or anyone releases quarterly results, they are heavily examined. And any shift, whether it's total retail or online, any shift there sends um, share prices in different directions. So they're not as concerned with year on year. They're concerned quarter to quarter. Totally. Yeah, uh, it's, it's absolutely right. I mean, you talk about a US retailer, I think um, on the topic of where do growth rates or top-line revenue growth, maybe not telling the full story, a good example of this is some is someone like Walmart, right? So Walmart announced this year a 37% growth in online sales. If you're looking at that purely, you're going, oh, great, you've grown 37%. That sounds nice. What it doesn't sort of mention, or if you don't look uh, and compare, you know, the year before they grew 40%, so their growth rate has slowed down um, year to year. But sort of more importantly than that, there's a lot of reports out there saying they're projecting losses of a billion dollars in their e-com division. And for a company that is used to printing money and last year sort of recorded $7 billion in profit, you've got some executives there starting to question, hey, is this online thing actually working? Cool, top line revenue is going up, but we just, we're losing a billion. That's <laughs> a, you know, with a B. Uh, so that's a, that's a lot of money. And so these, these retailers are, you're right, put under a lot more scrutiny, but you can't just look at a, at a, a metric, one single metric like top line revenue to kind of really get the sense of, is this business growing? Yeah. Okay. So what else should we be looking at? Yeah. So, I mean, looking at things like, you know, operating expense, you know, looking at, suddenly like you look at, Let's look at bottom line. Let's look at how much profit mm. is this business making. And I don't know about you, but a lot of these brands I see getting acquired and and you know a lot of hype sort of being built up. A lot of them are losing money. Like mm. they're doing some crazy revenue. There's some crazy acquisitions there. Like uh, you know Harry's been acquired by Edgewell. So Harry's the razor brand acquired by Edgewell for 1.37 billion. But they were losing money. And so mm. you're talking about stock prices, Edgewell stock price dropped, um, you know, once there was the announcement of the acquisition. And so there's this sort of like balance between do I just grow my revenue like crazy? Like, do I have to think mm. about profit? Is, does it come at the expense of profit? Mm. And it seems to me that there's this sort of feeling in the market that, okay, these, these brands don't necessarily need to be doing profit immediately to be successful. You know, they can grow very, very quickly and start to think about profit later on in their piece, as long as I've you know, got a clear plan to profitability that investors and VCs uh, and the like are, uh, are buying into and understanding. Yeah, and I think that's a really great point because even recently we've seen DJs came out with their results and they were profit overall fell 42%, profit fell, but e-commerce was still up 46%. Which yeah, headline is big thumbs up. We've grown forty six percent. How's profit? Which, Don't worry which, about it. We'll, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which headline are you going to take? Yeah. And same as Big W. Their their online sales are actually going fantastic. They're up one hundred twenty eight percent year on year. Wow. Uh, but the headlines that we saw were about closing stores, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so I think your point around if e commerce is growing all by itself and not adding to the overall profit or the overall profitability of the overall retail business, it doesn't matter how much online retail sales are up. Yeah, that's right. And, and ultimately, like these retailers are serving customers and customers are going to be deciding how they engage with you. And so like separating, um, you know, talking about how good online growth is, yes, it's it's nice to mention, but ultimately this is a retailer and today a customer will interact with you in whatever way they want. And so looking at that total that total revenue or total profitability is important. It's not just about, oh, online did this and, and store did this. Um, cool distinction to make, but uh, it's, it's, it's more than that. 
This episode of Add to Cart is brought to you by Shopify Plus. Our friends over at Shopify Plus power some of the world's fastest growing brands, including brands like JB Hi-Fi, Koala, and a brand you may have heard a bit about, Kylie Cosmetics. The average growth rate for Shopify Plus customers is 126%, which is absolutely massive. In the lead up to Black Friday and Christmas and peak trading, Shopify Plus have just released a really awesome holiday pre-season playbook, which is well worth checking out. Visit shopifyplus.holiday forward slash au. That's shopifyplus.holiday forward slash au to download the guide for free. You can also find the link in our show notes. A massive thanks to Shopify Plus for being the inaugural partner of Add to Cart. Now back to the show. There was two things that stood out to me in the reports that, that I read this year. The first was with Target in the US. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing some phenomenal things. And by the way, I actually really like Walmart. And I, and I think we're on different pages here with Walmart. Um, <laughs> I think we <laughs> might that's be. Okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm a big fan of how they're taking it to Amazon. But Target in the US was really interesting because they had 34% e-commerce growth. So not phenomenal, solid, but not great. But what they actually did is that that e-commerce growth contributed three quarters of their overall growth, but their profitability was up total sixteen percent for the whole stores, for the whole for the whole business. Right, and they put a lot of that down to a ninety percent reduction in costs for mm-hmm. fulfillment. So they moved a lot of their fulfillment to the in-store model. Um, okay. So they shipped yep. from store. Yep. They really amped up their click and collect capabilities. Mm-hmm. And had a less reliance on three PLs and warehousing. Smart, yeah. yeah, very very smart. And 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 I think that that's kind of like a typical, uh, like I've I've seen it with a few retailers. It seems to be kind of a typical model. That's like early years, we're growing and not just thinking so much about profitability. Obviously, I think every startup should understand the unit economics, like in and out. That's incredibly important. Um, you don't just want to be blind without understanding those metrics. But, you know, there's plenty of retailers out there that you probably think are doing really, really well. They're not profitable. And then they're starting, you know, a few years in or even, you know, many years in it. This never ends is creating that efficiency, reducing cost of goods, you know, reducing those uh, with 3PLs. Like, how do I get a better deal? How do I make this more efficient as a business to then start to go to work towards that profitability? So that's, that's, Fantastic that that uh, someone like Target's gone and done that, and that that I think is a very very common theme um, uh, amongst mm. retailers. Is in their later years when they've got a, a decent brand and they've got a, a good, really good base of customers. Now it's how do we deliver this experience in a, in a more cost effective way? Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I saw retailers referring to in in results was around the percentage of sales that came from club or loyalty members. Right. And I think that's a really interesting metric that's starting to become public and starting to become valued. Mm-hmm. So, for Super Retail Group, which obviously we've got some history in, um, those numbers are now public. And for BCF, off, off the top of my head, I think it was over 60% of their sales, total sales now came from loyalty customers. Right. And do you think that's a result of a better loyalty program or you know, it's more incentive to become a club member and therefore there's just more members or what, what do you think is the drive behind that? I think there's a few things going on there. I think there's it's easy to bring people on as club members and the, the team in store are really dedicated and they understand the loyalty program and they can explain the benefits to customers. So yep. store acquisition of loyalty customers is, number one, the best way to grow a loyalty database. Yeah. And secondly, there are tangible benefits to that loyalty club 
um, a lot of it pricing. But if you actually go to the BCF website, you'll see a lot of content and a lot of experiences that you can only get by being a member. So I think they're doing a phenomenal job there in loyalty. And it's really showing that if you can get, you know, three out of every five customers, you've got their details and you can measure how they're spending over their lifetime yeah, and what they're interested in and then start giving them that value back. That's a phenomenal business model. Oh, totally. And, and you know, I think I see sometimes retailers that kind of forget about that loyalty piece or, you know, they're, they're so focused on top of funnel and just simply getting customers into the machine um, or, you know, acquiring these customers that the, the next part of that is retaining those customers right over their lifetime and, and getting more revenue out of them over that lifetime, which is super key to a sustainable business if you've got a repeatable purchase product. And so it's like I've... I think I'm starting to see that change a little bit with some of the retailers that I've worked with in the past where it's sort of been so much about acquisition and now they're starting to, as they mature, you know, they're starting to go, okay, we don't just want to have this tap turned on and running into this funnel that is leaking, leaking customers at the bottom because you're paying like the cost to acquire customers normally six or seven times more than the cost to keep them. And so, you know, you've got to make sure you've got a really strong retention program in there to incentivize these customers to keep coming back. You know, that subscription model, um, if you can run it is, is, is massive. You know, like if we talk about metrics for a business, if you have a repeat, you know, purchase product or your, the products you are selling, you expect a customer to, to want to keep coming back and buying. Mm. If you're not measuring your your customer acquisition cost and your lifetime value and, and more important, the ratio between those two, yep. um, you're really, really missing out and that's something that you should be doing. I think so. And, and you've touched on a really good point there and we've kind of covered it, but it was about that if you've got that race for acquisition, it has knock-on effects, right? So if you're acquiring the right customers at a healthy profit margin versus acquiring customers to achieve growth targets at an unhealthy profit margin, yeah, which might be single figures, mm-hmm. the knock-on effects are that you've obviously got high marketing spend to get them because they're not your core customers. You've obviously got then flow-on impacts to um, your customer service team. Mm-hmm. You've got cash flow problems because you're trying to shift more stock and making sure that that the timing is right, so your cash is held up in other ways. So it has all these other flow-on effects if you're a really high-volume but low-margin business as opposed to positioning yourself as a high-profit, lower-volume. Yeah. It just kind of can create a loop of pain. Yes, uh, 100%. And, you know, that's why I kind of mentioned before that lifetime value to customer acquisition ratio. You know, if you can look at that and if you start to go, okay, I've just spent a hundred bucks to acquire this customer and they're only going to make me a hundred dollars in their lifetime. I don't think your business is going to be around too long. That's going to plateau out and you're going to have to have different ways to grow unless you can, you know, effectively value add um, that customer over time. But that's where you like, I think a baseline for most return repeat purchase businesses is looking like a three or four to one ratio. You know, if you're earning three times the amount in, in profit from acquiring a customer, I think you're in a pretty good place. You know, if you're earning much more than that, it's probably saying, hey, you might be underinvesting here in, in customer acquisition. Maybe you should be, you could probably grow faster or, or grow more. And if you're sort of under that, it's like, are you just pouring too much into bad customer acquisition tactics and channels? And should you be trying to maybe cut that spend back and then look at where that leak is broken or, what, you know, post acquisition, what's not working there? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a super important thing to, to figure out. So just on that customer lifetime value, because it, 
is a scary topic for many people because there mm. there's lots of software and lots of programs out there that will that promise the world around customer lifetime value about cracking it and being able to send triggers and alert you when people are about to churn or whatever it is. It actually doesn't have to be that complicated, does it, to get an idea on how you're tracking in terms of lifetime value of customer? No, like not at all. And 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 you know there are so many different ways to try and calculate customer lifetime value, as you kind of said, and it, each is more complex than the other. And you know it, it does depend on your business model, but keep it really simple. Just keep it have a really simple metric, and then the key to that is use that same metric over and over again, so you can see the trend. If you start to change that over time, you're going to change your data, and you're not going to be able to see the trend. If you keep the same calculation for customer lifetime value, and you can do this really simply, then you know that will allow you to see a trend, and that's what's most important. Not so much I need to have the most perfect understanding of my customer lifetime value. That that is something that even the biggest retailers are still chasing and still getting wrong. So just have a a nice simple metric and then keep that consistent and you should start to see the benefits from that. So at its most basic level, if you did it on a yearly level, you could have all your revenue divided by the total number of unique customers as a starting point. Yeah, totally. Or, or something like, uh, you know, what's my um, average uh, cost per sale, or, uh, you know, average order value times by how many times uh, does this customer purchase from me on average per year? Yep. And, you know, obviously factoring in uh, your margin there. So you're looking at it from a profit perspective, but that's going to give you uh, a very basic understanding. And then just simply looking at your acquisition cost to counter that. Um, mm. So you understand like very basically on average, how much am I spending across these acquisition channels? You want you might factor in if you want to get fancy, like you know how much am I paying for staff uh, for my marketing staff or agencies or those kind of mm. things. But just keep it simple to start. Um, you don't want to overcomplicate. You're just turning it. into a P and L then, right? Yeah, I mean that's important. You should, I think, yeah, I think marketing <laughs> with a P and P and L focus is is very important. But you know, if you're if you're starting out, if you don't know where to begin, keep it very simple and keep it consistent, and then you can always start to you know overhaul that aspect you know a, a year or so down the track and it's going to take time to gather good data like you know it, it depends on your your product it might take a couple of years to get some really really solid data in there and understand your customers truly so mm. that's also an important consideration to make like i'm only going to buy i don't know i'll buy a bottle of wine you know much more regularly than i'll buy a mattress or something like that um, yep. so that, yep. that's important to consider as well yeah and i think that's that's a really good point so brands like koala even Clients like Allbirds, yeah, they have phenomenal brands, right? And, and their customers are truly passionate about them, but they're not buying product every month or even every year, potentially, if you're Koala, right? So how do you measure if you go, actually, customer lifetime value might not be that great for us, but we have brand love and we know that as soon as that person is in the market for something that's in our realm, that we're going to be top of that list. How do you measure that? Yeah, it's... it's- Absolutely right. You know, someone like Koala initially, when they were just doing mattresses, you know, customer lifetime value isn't super useful for them. I'm going to buy a mattress. I might come back and buy one for a mate, but you know, really, there's there's not a lot of repeat purchase there once you're a single SKU company. Now, as someone like Koala starts to expand their product range, and we're seeing that with you know the sofa now, they're about to drop a whole bunch more products by the end of this year, which is super exciting. And so now the customer lifetime value metric starts to become more interesting and more valuable because now I might have someone coming to buy a sofa and now I can start to cross-sell or upsell and get them to come back and buy the rest of those products to complete the house. So 
That's an interesting aspect. All birds you touched on, you know, you, you'd compare all birds. I could have a couple of pairs of all birds. Now all birds are selling socks. And I find that at least side point very interesting because the one of the big selling points of all birds initially was the shoes you don't need socks for. And now what are they doing? We're selling your socks because we need some more. <laughs> We're starting to probably level out in terms of our, uh, our revenue. So we need to have another product there. And how many pairs have you bought? Yeah, I've bought zero. I've got, pair, I've, got, I've got one pair of all birds. There's actually a store just opened up in Auckland, which I haven't checked out yet, but I plan to next week. But yeah, I, I uh, the socks was a, an interesting one for me um, to sort of see that that popping up. But yeah, like in terms of metrics, like if you're sort of single skew, I would I would kind of argue at that point conversion rate is a more important metric. You know, it's a one-off purchase typically, so you're trying to maximize that as much as possible. Things like contribution margin, how much am I making? How much is this product costing me? How much is the business making? That's an important metric. But yeah, look, the, the that's why you start to see retailers that are, they start off with a single product. They will either be able to grow through um, going into different markets, un- untapped customers in different markets, or you'll start to see them you know, expand that product offering in order to enable their growth because VCs want to continue to see growth. So mm. if you're funded by a VC, they want to keep seeing those numbers going up. You're going to be feeling the pinch and you've got to find another way to increase that growth. You touched on conversion right there, and I think that's a really interesting topic, especially with you coming mainly from an online perspective and my background being a uh, more omnichannel perspective. I used to get really frustrated, and I still do, around people in omnichannel businesses talking or obsessing around conversion rate. Yeah. Because for me, if I look at the role of the website, absolutely conversion is a key one and yeah. we want to get people through that checkout. But there's a variety of reasons people can come to a website, especially when you've got 100 plus stores. So for me, if people are coming on to check store opening hours, they don't put anything in their cart, don't intend to, Yeah, but they still get the information they need. That's a successful visit. Oh, totally. Yeah, you have to be building in those other those other touch points into the website and tracking them. So you might say, okay, a click on store hours is worth you know X, and then mm. a click on the phone number to call the store is worth a little bit more. And you can start to build a bit of a model around these valuable touch points on a site that you can then sort of say, sure, our our conversion rate might be. 2%, 3%, but you're right. That is not the only thing that you should be obsessing over. Um, I think that is a, I agree with you. That is a big mistake that some uh, some online retailers do make, um, especially if you do have multiple channels like stores. I once ran an experiment where I got a research I got a research company into, um, and I said, can you just go and stand outside about 10 of our stores? And I said, as people come out with their bags, just ask them, if they looked at that product online before they came into store. I remember you doing this actually, yeah. It was the most manual research ever, but <laughs> it was to it was to get to those assumption numbers that you're talking about to kind of go a, a click to visit the store or a product page v- review is worth this. And it worked out, I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it was something like six or seven in ten customers that walked out of that store was looking at that product online Mm. before coming in and they were visiting our website before. So, even though our e-commerce numbers may have been single-digit percentage to overall sales, the actual value of the website was much higher as the most powerful marketing tool that we've got across the business to drive people in-store or online because 
from my point of view, I didn't care. Yeah. As long as they were buying. Oh, totally. and were, exactly. And that's at the end of the day. This is all about, and as a retailer, it is about sales and, you know, how much you're getting through the door. And I love that you went out and did that very manual research because I don't think a lot of people would go and do that. And that's very, very valuable to understand the bigger picture. So, yeah, massive hats off for you to go and to, to implement that. What I find, did you did you ask the question? This has always interests me. So you asked, did you go and you know visit this, uh, view this product on the site? Did you also ask, did you just go and view this product in a search engine like Google? And then how many sites did you go to before deciding to come into our store? We didn't go down that far, but I think it's a really good question. It'd be really interesting. I think I was just hell bent on proving a point. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got some directives, and you go, no, I'm going to prove this to you. Yeah, yeah, good, good on you, mate. <laughs> So I think we've covered a really, like we've started off here talking about growth in terms of a revenue perspective. And we've also talked about profit. We've talked about customer lifetime value. We've talked around operational efficiency and we've talked about giving it to the total retail pie. Mm. If you're sitting down, if you're, if you're the owner of an e-commerce business and someone said to you, what's the one metric that will tell you if your business is going well? Where would you put your money? Oh, geez. That's a very nice on-the-spot question. Thank you. <laughs> um, That's lucky because I've spoon-fed you everything else. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the telepomp has been very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know. Like, I, I, again, I'd be looking at things like if you are a peak purchase business, I would be looking at lifetime value and acquisition costs and the ratio between those two. I, I think for me that is just so central to any econ business that is – has that repeat purchase model built in. But I think probably broader than that, touching on, you know, there are so many metrics that a a business can keep across and that can be incredibly overwhelming. You know, there's a new, you might read a blog article tomorrow about this new little known metric that the biggest brands are tracking now and you should do this and that. And, you know, as a smaller retailer, that can be quite daunting. And so I think you really do need to pick one, you know, top line metric and whether that be, you know, lifetime value and and the ratio between that and acquisition cost or whether it just be like total number of new customers joined this month or, you know, wh- whatever that means to you and your business, keep that as your sort of North Star and your number one goal. And then have maybe two or three, maybe four sub metrics that you kind of just keep keep an eye on and keep it simple like that. There's always going to be deeper dives you can do. You know, at some point you're going to be hopefully hiring someone to actually mine this data for you and actually present that data in a really meaningful way once you've actually got a really good data infrastructure at your company. This is another side topic, but I hear a lot of, should I hire a data scientist? <laughs> it's like, yeah, do you actually have really good clean data and a good infrastructure for them to work off? Because if you don't, then there's no point in hiring a data scientist. They're just going to be twiddling their thumbs. Or another question that's good when they ask that is go, is anyone looking at your Google Analytics? Yeah, and then they go, what's Google yeah. Analytics? And I yeah. sort of like just throw the phone away. <laughs> but yeah, so have one really sort of top level North Star metric that you want to to keep track of and that sort of everyone in the business is aware of and and like report on that. Like have have a town hall with your team like every every week or every two weeks and sort of share how the whole company is progressing towards this sort of, you know, top line metric and then maybe sub teams have their own little metrics that they follow as well if you're a larger org like that can be uh, a really really powerful way to kind of keep focus but it has to be suited to your particular business model i really like that advice i think that's really great have a north star and then a couple of metrics three or four metrics that really give an indication on 
what might be contributing to that without giving the full story. Mm-hmm. And if you if you set a challenge for yourself, if you use Google Data Studio, um, and obviously that can pull in Google Analytics, but every, all other sources as well, if you give yourself a challenge of how do I create a one-pager that can give me a pulse check on how we're tracking right now, it doesn't have to explain everything, but I can go, are we in a good place or a bad place and what may be contributing to it? If you can create a one-pager without squinting, you've probably got the right metrics, right? Yeah, exactly. And I like that one-pager. Like, I think at Shopify we have um, a rule where I think Toby sort of says, if there's a brief that's more than three pages, I'm not reading it. Like, <laughs> keep keep it simple, keep it succinct and, and, and to the point. And, and it's the same sort of this, this, with anything, really. Like, if you want to get um, some traction internally or keep people interested, yeah, keep keep that succinct, keep it to a one-pager or a, a single, you know, page in Data Studio if you're using something like that, which is a great tool. So, yeah, super, super good advice. Awesome. Well, thank you, Matt. I've really enjoyed where we've gone with this. We've started off with revenue and we've gone through all these other metrics to talk about the pros and cons. And I think we've landed in a good place in that it all comes back to the customer and that it's got to be long-term. We can't chase sales at a short term because it will come back and bite you in ways that aren't sustainable. Yeah. And if you're just chasing those numbers to impress other people, you've really got to take the moment to go, are we doing the right thing in the interests of our customers, our team, and our investors as well? So Yeah. Thank you, mate. Really appreciate your insights and some of the examples you've given us from a Shopify point of view. No worries at all. And hopefully it's been valuable to everyone. Thanks so much, mate. Appreciate it. Always happy to come on. So there we go. Episode one of Add to Cart done and dusted. Thanks again to Josh Newport for being such a fantastic guest and sharing so much of his knowledge. And thank you to Shopify Plus for getting on board episode one as our very first partner. We hope you guys learn a lot today please give us feedback. We'd really love to hear from you. What do you want to know? What do you want to ask our guests? We've got some really exciting people coming up. So shoot me any feedback or questions to nathan at 12hi12high.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Oh, and apparently this is the part where I'm meant to ask for a rating or review from you. But we're episode one. So what I'd really love instead of that is if you can just share it with your friends or colleagues anyone who might get value from it. More feedback we can get, the better we can make it. We'll be here for a long time. Cheers, guys. Cheers.